Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Golliver with The Washington Post. I am joined on the other line by Michael the Pod, Pina of Sports Illustrated. Michael, it struck me here over the last week with all this discussion of contract buyouts and trades and the deadline and everything else, that we're probably past due for a look at the best and worst contracts in the NBA. Now, some of the big contracts went poof this year, didn't they? I mean, Blake Griffin made that one disappear like a magic act. Andre Drummond no longer on the books for that crazy sum after the Cleveland Cavaliers uh, work out their negotiations and just bite that bullet. And, and now he takes over uh, for Los Angeles Lakers on you know great value contract for them. So what I thought we would do, Michael, and you and I are not necessarily capologists. I mean, I think that we're familiar with the numbers and the framework. I mean, we're not going to be hired as anybody's assistant GMs anytime soon. Well, maybe I should speak for myself on that one, Michael, but um, I wasn't trying to uh, throw shade there. But I thought we would go through our favorite deals, the ones that we feel like are delivering the most value this season, and you know, just take a look at it now that all the dust has settled from all these moves. What do you think? Love it. This is going to be our best episode ever, I think. Oh, there's a chance. There's a real chance. Uh, You sound fired up about it, which I'd love. Anytime I give you homework, you dive in. I can just tell you were that kid in fourth or fifth grade. Michael, you were a teacher's pet, weren't you? So I actually wasn't. I'm making up for lost time here. Oh. Um, So now that now that there's no pressure of tests or exams or finals or anything like that, I'm 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 very um, I'm into it. I'm into learning, into investigating, into researching. I'm here for you. No, I love it. You were digging through the databases this morning trying to get down to the decimal points. All right, who's really screwing their teams over? Who's really over-delivering? I mean, I I loved your approach to this. 
I will admit I was a teacher's pet, and um, you know it was is pretty embarrassing. <laughs> so maybe we shouldn't dwell on that. But I had fun with this process too. So where do you want to start? How about at the top? And, and we'll start positively before we start crushing some of these guys. Who do you think has the best value contract in the NBA this season? I mean. This is a really difficult question to answer just because for me, uh, you know, you alluded to just how um, extensive my research was. And I think when you take a look at all of the contracts in the entire NBA, you kind of are able to separate them into different tiers. But I think we'll get into that a little bit more as we as we kind of get down here with this discussion. But to answer your question... The first player, when I first saw your outline and I saw what we were doing in this episode, the first player who popped into my head is still the number one value contract to me. And I think you might be on the same page. I hope so. But it's Zion Williamson for me. Ooh, I actually am not on that same page. He did make my list, but um, I'm very curious for your reasoning. Um, let me just state up front. I gave you really no parameters. I said you could look at it as a one-year exercise, as a long-term exercise, um, you know, basically production over cost, or you could kind of take into account the impact that the uh, contract has on the, the team around him as well. Here's a counter for you, and this is a little bit, you know, a little bit uh, hypothetical. Is it possible LeBron has the best value contract? Don't you think every single team in the league would just you know, head over heels to pay LeBron $39 million for everything he does for their organization. If you're taking into account on-court and off-court, there's been this whole idea about the max contract selling the biggest stars short. Does LeBron have a case here, even though he's making more than three times Zion Williamson? The wealth he's generating has got to be more than three times Zion, right? So LeBron was really interesting because I, I do think that he hasn't played he is, in two weeks. <laughs> well, <laughs> there's that. But, like, the fact that, you know, I did factor in age a little bit here. I did factor in what was remaining in years on the deal. And so I do think that LeBron is for sure still a value contract, is still a value max. He could earn, like, $100 million and probably still be underpaid for whatever team he plays on. But... Just the fact that he's he's probably going to be declining over the next two years, which is what is left on his current contract, making forty one million next year, forty four million the following year after that before he hits uh, unrestricted free agency. Um, and you just kind of consider the age, and I do think that you could still easily build a championship contender around him because he plays on a championship contender. But when we talk about value, I think there's just a few, there's some other uh, uh, contracts around the league that kind of that sprang to mind quicker before I even thought of LeBron. Is he your number one? He wasn't, but I think he has to be kind of mentioned first out of deference uh, because of all the off-court stuff that I'm describing. So Zion yeah. is going to make $10.2 million this year, 
as the number one overall pick uh, in, in 2019. Now, these rookie contracts, Michael, they can go either way, right? You can get a guy locked into that three, four-year rookie contract where you're just getting absolutely insane value, a franchise-level player, and he's locked in, you know, really can't negotiate uh, until, you know, he can't get the big raise until his fifth season in the NBA. It can also kind of stick you with the spot like a Marvin Bagley, where you're paying him basically Zion Williamson money. You're stuck doing mm-hmm. it, and you have to do it and pick up his options, and eventually you're just like, God, well, this is going to be embarrassing for everybody, but I think we're just going to you know part ways and <laughs> go a different direction. So it can it's kind of a boomer bust thing with those high uh, rookie uh, contract slots. So why is Zion number one for you? So Zion... Earning $10.2 million this season, which is the 117th uh, highest salary in the NBA, according to, uh, I guess we're, we're going to use, there's a bunch of different places out there you can look at player salaries. I, I think for the this episode, just to, to lay it out there, we're going to be using basketball reference, which is not perfect, but which kind of gets the job done for what we're trying to do. Well, I'm, I'm so, actually using my own proprietary salary database that I've worked on over the course of the last couple of years. <laughs> no, not not seriously, but I have had friends who've made NBA salary databases. This great guy in Portland whose mm-hmm. online name was Storyteller. He had his own contract database. He could tell you the whole thing inside and out. I mean, the people who really dig into this, Michael, go deep. That's not us. We're just going off the, no. uh, the the publicly available <laughs> spreadsheets. But continue. Yeah. So Zion, he's 117th in the league. He's making a, about a hundred grand less than DeAndre Jordan this season. Um, he's on the rookie scale deal, as as you said, and is making 10.7 next year. That's a team option. Uh, and then in 2023, he's making 13.5 uh, million and. That's not nothing. There are contracts that I looked at that are, that are significantly lower than what Zion is earning and longer as well. But for me, I look at what Zion is right now in the second season of his career, which is honestly, in my opinion, the most unstoppable offensive player. And I don't even think that that is that controversial. There's some really great players, obviously, in the NBA right now having spectacular seasons. But all of them have some semblance of a game plan that can be implemented to slow them down. And Zion has no game plan. Like, everybody knows he's going to get into the paint. That's where he wants to shoot. And every game he gets into the paint whenever he wants and either gets to the free throw line or finishes at the basket. It is truly unlike anything I have ever seen. I emailed you after um, after the Pelicans beat the Celtics the other night, basically begging uh, for us to do an all Zion episode because he's just he blows my mind every single time I watch him play. I love it. I think he's he's arguably the story of the season. He won't be because the Pelicans aren't good and probably won't make the playoffs, but he should be just in terms of individual, just like what he means for the league going forward. Like what he's doing now is just, I mean, I could literally sit here and read statistics for like 45 minutes to support my case. I don't think it's necessary. If you've seen Zion play, you know what I'm talking about. And for him to not already be on a max contract, which he more than deserves and the fact that for the next two seasons after this one he's still going to only be making 
quote unquote only making 10, 13 million dollars. Like it, it boggles the mind. And I think the New Orleans Pelicans, you know, we talk about like, how do you build around a number one pick? In my opinion, I'm not saying that the Drew Holiday trade was a mistake, but you should be trying to win right now with this guy. He is he is he's the real deal. That's that's all I have to say about him. I agree with like 98% of what you said, Michael. I love the passion and the argumentation, but you're wrong. You're so close. You're so close, Michael, but you're wrong. You had it right. You got to look at a big-time sensation who's on his rookie contract. You've got to look at a guy who is over-delivering early in his NBA career, just like Zion. You've got to look at a guy who absolutely mutilated your Boston Celtics here over the last week, just like Zion. The correct answer is Luka Doncic. He's making $8 million a year this year. Just like Zion, he's basically an offense unto himself. Just like Zion, he's very, very difficult to guard. I think the obvious difference between the two players is Luka's playmaking ability for his teammates and the idea that if you gave them equal talent, he's probably able to carry them to a more efficient offense, although Zion's making that very, very interesting because, look, if you just score every time you shoot the ball, it's very difficult to out-efficiency that. And, and Zion is uh, you know, pushing the limits of that for sure. Um, you know, To me, you're looking at Dallas's team success. You're looking at the fact that they made the playoffs last year with Luka. I think, you know, to me... Uh, you know, clear top six, top seven player in the league this year. Everybody else who's kind of in that category are all on max contracts, right? And they're all vets who have been on max contracts for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. I think it's Luka. And I don't think the Dallas Mavericks are getting quite enough credit or attention for uh, what they're doing. There's so much going on in the Western Conference. It's easy to overlook them. They're playing better. Uh, he is in a great groove, and I'm sure you just kind of felt that personally watching that game last night. You know, Mavericks versus Celtics, where Luca's hitting just impossible shot after impossible shot, breaking Boston's back early in that game. And um, you know, the, the best is still yet to come. So for me, at least for this year and next year, Luca will be the best value in the NBA. So hard to argue for sure, Luca. Yeah, incredible savant uh really unfair by the schedule makers to have the celtics go up against zion and luca in the same week i don't think that that was right and I, well look I'm we just call that petition we, the nba we just call that the western conference on a daily basis michael now i understand these <laughs> eastern teams they, they always want to whine when they have to go cross conference and it gets so hard for them i get it um no it has been a rough week for them um, so who else do you have on your list, though? I mean, look, I think that both these guys are fully deserving, should be right near the top. And, um, you know, it's it's a clear area of awesome value. If you can hit the ground running and stay healthy, which is important, too, right? Because we've got some other guys who are on rookie contracts who are phenomenal players, like a John Morant. But if you miss some time, that kind of changes the value equation, right? So, um, you know, Zion and Luca have both really been able to do that this season. Who else do you have? So real quick, Luca was my number two, and the only thing that that separated him from Zion and put Zion number one was that Zion has one more year left on his rookie uh, rookie contract. Oh, that's and a so, very strong argument. I like that. I like that. Yeah. So Luca is gonna hit and get his max a year sooner. So that's the, literally the only difference. It's a big difference, but it, just in terms of um, which is more valuable, like, yeah, but it, not even to say that Luca is not as good of a player as Zion, but I think you know what I mean. Um, 
So from here, I can go in like 25 different directions. I have just so, so our, our, our listeners um, are kind of on the same page with my brain right now. I wrote down. Yes, please, Professor Pina, lay out your methodology here. Yeah, so I, I literally scrolled through uh, every contract in the NBA, and I plucked about 20. Oh, and my God. Michael, I said best five and worst five. I know. You're out here with 20. This is what I mean about the teacher's pet thing. There's no way you weren't writing crazy book reports in seventh grade that your teacher was like, sir, uh, this was not even assigned. We had you reading uh, Dr. Seuss this week, and you're out here reading some college literature. I mean, this this is over-delivering, Michael. I know. I'm sorry. But I, our listeners deserve it, honestly. Um, and when I say 20, that's just for the best contracts. Worst was actually a little trickier for me. I, I only have seven or eight, I think. Um, but we'll get to that when we get to that. So from from Luca and Zion, um, there's just a lot of different directions that you can go in in terms of what you value. And so you know, I could say LaMelo Ball here. Um, you know, he's on a rookie scale deal that's going to last a very long time, or at least a, a couple years longer than Zion and Luca. You could go with someone like Tyrese Halliburton, and you look at what he's making in 2020. He's making $5.8 million in 2024. That is ridiculous. Anyone who watches the Kings knows that Tyrese Halliburton is a legitimate NBA player and going to be a star before too long. Um, the direction that I'm actually going to go in, though, is a little more uh, polarizing, potentially. And I, I want to say that Giannis Antetokounmpo's Supermax is an incredibly valuable contract. Oh, interesting. I, so I was uh, steering away from most of the max deals, but uh, make the case. Okay, so it's obviously a ton of money. It's over $200 million. The reason why... I'm including it here is because I really value in a league where uh, everything changes annually so dramatically. Um, if you can have one of the best players in his prime, and I, I would say Giannis honestly is pre his prime, like I, there's still so much more that he can accomplish and so many different areas of his game that can still improve on both ends of the floor. If you have that locked up um, through 2025, he has a $51 million player. <laughs> I can't even say these numbers. $51 million player option in 2026. But like, if you're the Milwaukee Bucks and you have Giannis locked up, it's like a ton of money. But that certainty of knowing where you are as an organization, knowing that... Um, you are able to build around just this, I mean, he's a two-time MVP who might win his third straight this season. He's ridiculous. You will be a championship contender as long as he's on your team, pretty much, assuming you don't totally blow it as a front office. Um, I, I just love the certainty, the fact that you have him locked up for the next one, two, three, four, five seasons. Like that is, that's really important. So that's why I have it as high as I do, even though it's, it's a lot of money. It's an awesome argument that I had not even considered, Michael. I mean, it kind of goes back to the idea of Tim Duncan, right? He was getting paid a lot of money for decades in San Antonio, but 
he's priceless, right? If you're setting the tone, if you're giving everybody a culture, a climate of winning, if you've got a good relationship with the coach, if you're you know doing it every single night mm-hmm. and people know what to expect from you, you are the franchise's identity. Not only that, I mean, his presence probably helped them get that arena deal done. And his continued presence is probably going to keep that franchise there for a long time, which, you know, before he arrived, uh, you know, that was a little bit more questionable. Milwaukee was on that list of teams that might actually move, right? So his value to that organization has already been demonstrated for the last five or six years. And I think you're right to say he is very valuable to them going forward. Really interesting argument, Michael. Didn't see that one coming. Who else you got? Okay, so I'm going to I'm going to pivot into a different type of category here. Um, You know, I could say, uh, like, when I was kind of picking Giannis, there were a couple different contracts in that same ballpark that I think are interchangeable, but I I went with Giannis just because it's longer and he's super young still. Um, You could have said Anthony Davis, who is a little more of a question mark because of his health, I think, than Giannis is. And uh, his contract is just a little, um, I believe it's a year shorter than Giannis's in terms of guaranteed money. Um, I also think it's a I'm little gonna... bit harder to build a winner around him as we saw in New Orleans, mm. right? Like if you do take LeBron out of that mix at some point, is he still that same stable anchor? I think that's kind of a fair question to ask about Anthony Davis. Um and, you know, the, I guess the flip argument would be, well, look, he's going to be the best recruiter ever in the post-LeBron era. Like, everyone's going to want to come to L.A. to play with the Lakers and Anthony Davis. Mm-hmm. So maybe he offers you even more value there. Maybe the size and scope of the Lakers organization delivers more revenue than the Bucks. I mean, there are counters to be made, um, but I would go Giannis over AD. Yeah, I think it's an eyelash, but it, it's I, I think that Giannis has to be above him in this conversation. Um so the next kind of category that I was looking at were just like all-star caliber players who aren't even close to earning the max, who are off their rookie deal. And there aren't a lot of guys in this category, but one really stands out, and that's DeMontis Sabonis. Ooh. Uh, this guy is making, or he's guaranteed for the, the life of his current contract, $77 million dollars. Um, and I just told you that Giannis is making over $200 million. Now, uh, Giannis is better than Domas, obviously, but like Sabonis is not old, not yet in his prime, and he's earning less than Bojan Bogdanovich this year, next year, and the following year after that. The year after that, in 2024, he's only making $21 million. Like, this is... If you're building an organization around Sabonis, and I think he is, I think you'll agree that he is their franchise player. You know, Miles Turner is the one who was involved in all the trade rumors. There are no trade rumors for Sabonis. If you're building around him as your five, like in a salary cap league, not having to pay him the max, which he would get if he was a free agent this summer for sure is just a huge boon for for any organization, but particularly a, a small market organization like the Indiana Pacers. So his value on that deal is just, it's astronomical. Um, 
for a team like that. And yeah, and it's only he, going to look better and better, right? I yeah. mean, we've talked about a lot of the guys who are going to be seeking $20 million contracts this summer, right? And those are role player types, right? Third options, you know, really three and D wings who are going to kind of fill in and try to help, you know, a team go from maybe good to great. Whereas with Sabonis, I mean, you're talking about a franchise level player, um, now, maybe you're not a top three or four contender with him as your number one guy, but he's still a capable number one guy in my eyes, an awesome all-around uh, offensive weapon, and uh, you know a guy who's going to be over-delivering for years. He's also just rock solid and consistent too, you know, um, great mm-hmm. work ethic and um, great personality, fits with a lot of different types of players. So uh, I like this pick. You're you're picking guys who I did not expect at all, Michael. I was thinking that you were going to go for like Lou Dort next, to be honest. So <laughs> that is so weird that you just said that because I have uh, another category here in my little spreadsheet that I've titled What a Ridiculous Bargain. And uh, I was kind of – Lou Dort is in that category. He's no, in that I, bucket. I, I have a category called criminal action, and it's Lou Dort's contract. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how that happened. Uh, but, yes, go on about Lou Dort, please. No, I mean, Lou Dort, he's, (laughs) he is going to make the all-defensive team, or at least he should. He is arguably the hardest player in basketball to screen, I would say. That was an award, an unofficial award, that Marcus Smart had basically for his entire career. I think think Lou Dort has uh, assumed that mantle now. He is such a pest he's so physical he had his coming out party last year in the playoffs just like nobody guards James Harden well um and then Lou Dort was like I don't need second like I don't need a double team I don't need any assistance whatsoever I'm gonna stay in front of this guy and I'm not gonna foul him and I'm gonna make him really work and that was pretty much the most impressive individual defense any of us have ever seen against James Harden who's arguably the most uh, effective, efficient scorer in league history. Um, so for this guy to sign the contract that he did after he started to hit threes, like if he was a free eight, I, 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 it still just kind of boggles my mind. I mean, I'll, I'll, we'll lay it out, but like he's making 1.5 million this year, 1.7 next year, 1.9 the year after that. Like, yeah, so for context, like I'm just going to read some random names in the same category. The database I'm looking at, he's the 412th highest salary, which, mm-hmm. you know, there's basically 450 players or so in the league. And so he's in the very bottom tier. I mean, it's guys like Daniel Gafford, Isaiah Roby, you know, Chris Clemens. I mean, you're either on a minimum or you're on your rookie contract. I mean, to be down in this group, right? Uh, Carson Edwards for Boston, Bruno Fernando. I mean, a lot of the guys in this category are not even playing minutes, most of them. And like you're saying, he's operating at an all-defense level. And imagine what he could make if he was a free agent this summer, Michael. I mean, we were talking about, okay, Gary Trent Jr. is going to get a big payday. Lonzo Ball is going to get a big payday. Norman Powell is going to get a big payday. What do you think Dort would command on an open market this summer if he was a free agent? Well, he's 21 years old. He can guard basically everyone in the NBA. Um, His three-point shooting has come back down to earth a little bit, and he is shooting below 40% from the floor, which is something I think we we should mention. But, like... If you're a team that believes in that three-point shot, that it can be 
I don't know, like league average. If he can hit like 36% from the three-point line, which I think is possible right now, he's at 33%. If he can hit 36%, like 80 million, honestly. Yeah, well, I think the Marcus Smart comparison is excellent, right? Because I think Marcus Smart's been on one of the better value deals for pretty much his entire uh, contract. And Mm -hmm. the reason why he wasn't able to get that level of a payday was because of the three-point shot. And he's tried to work at it and work at it as well. But I do think the value of that perimeter defensive player when everyone is now playing more, uh, you know, pick and roll, pace and space type type stuff where you want to have multi-positional perimeter defenders, especially guys who can go one through four and play way up and, you know, handle, um, you know, interior matchups with that kind of strength that those guys have. Mm -hmm. I think that's a premium price right now. So, yeah, I think you're in the right ballpark for sure. And that's when, you know, you got to look around at the agent and say, come on, man, like read this market. I understand that he was undrafted and, you know, he's thinking when he signs a a four-year contract that like, hey, I'm going to be set for life, or at least I can kind of take care of things for a while. But, um, you know, his breakthrough here, I do think he's still so young though. His second contract, he's still going to be making an awful lot, right? So it's not like he's screwed forever. Um, But I think he's probably the guy who could have gotten the largest percentage raise this summer had he been a free agent so i think that he maybe i I think he'll he would definitely be in that conversation michael i mean like you said he's making 1.78 next year and you just said he's probably making 20 like that is very dope there's not very many areas of anywhere in society where you can just like get a uh, you know a a 10-time raise over what you're making a 12-time raise over what you're making yeah. So the one player that kind of springs to my mind who's going to actually get the biggest raise is Ooh. Duncan Robinson, who makes $1.6 million this season. He's a restricted free agent. That dude is going to get, I don't, like, man, the money that Duncan Robinson's going to get is making me blush right now. So you um, think he's probably going to be what, in like the Joe Harris type category? Is that what you're thinking? Yes, I think. I mean, if you look at what Davis Bertans got, which I know you love that contract, but well, that's uh, definitely one of the worst contracts in the league. So let's try not to use that as the benchmark. You know, I think that everybody's kind of agreed to just not talk about that deal because it's you know it's just such an outlier. It's tough. It's um, tough. man, this is really interesting debate. Would Dort or Robinson get a bigger raise? Because I, I mean, has you feel like Duncan's played that well this year? I feel like he's been a little bit of a letdown. So. I actually just wrote about the Miami Heat, and one of the big things about their entire team that's been disappointing is they went from the the, the best non-corner three-point shooting team in the league to, like, the 28th best non-corner three-point shooting, t- shooting team in the league. And, and Duncan Robinson, part of it, it's not his fault, per se, but... Last year, he shot 44% from behind the three-point line on just some of the most ridiculous looks you'll ever see. Like, defenses know what he's trying to do, and they have a hand a a millimeter from his nose contesting the shot, and he would still drill them at a ridiculous rate. This year, he's down to 40%, which is still excellent, but not what he was last year because I think teams are even more (laughs) aggressive um, and also just like sustaining what he did last year is basically impossible. No one had ever done it before. Um, but I do think it is an interesting debate because Duncan Robinson will never be um, an above, above average defender. And we saw in the finals, 
you know, the Lakers picked on him a good deal and you can play him off the floor in a playoff series. If Lou Dort just even gets to like league average from the three point line and maybe even a, a tick above that, like that is definitely a more valuable player in my opinion, than Duncan Robinson. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely rather have Joe Harris than Duncan Robinson. So if Duncan Robinson gets more money than Joe Harris, I'll be mad online about it for sure. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Let's go through a couple other here real quickly. Michael, I know you said you've got 20. I mean, you're going to have to just give us the names here, I think, at this point. um, Okay. Because we really have to start crushing some deals. So uh, tell me what you've got. (laughs) Okay, so uh, (laughs) my brain is like fried right now. Um, I want to shout out, I want to shout out, uh, Jason Tatum's max, Jamal Murray's max. Um, I think that those are really valuable. I want to shout out Terrence Mann's contract yes. on the Los Angeles Clippers. He was on my Absurd. list too. I had a number of guys where like, if you've, you know, got yourself a contributing role, whether you're, you know, Bruce Brown, Devontae mm-hmm. Graham, Terrence mm-hmm. Mann, like all those guys to me are kind of in that category. And I guess, you know, Devontae Graham's coming up for the payday and he's going to, you know, another guy who's going to see a big raise over his current salary because he's making, I think, like $1.6 million, something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Um, those guys to me, another one in that category, uh, second round pick, Jalen Brunson for Dallas. Um, Absolutely. Where, yeah. I mean, he could be a starting level point guard. Um, he's better in his role though. Like, don't get me wrong. I think, you know, he's, he's got a really nice fit for what they're asking him to do in Dallas and they're going to get awesome value on him for the next like three seasons. So I had a, a, a number of guys in that category. Yeah. So, um, I also just want to shout out, um, the category that I've titled a relatively cheap role player. Um, so Seth Curry, uh, DeAnthony Melton, Larry Nance Jr., Royce O'Neal. These are really great contracts, um, all super cheap relative to their production and their value to their respective teams. And any team in the league would kill for them um, right now. And the teams that have them are super appreciative. Uh, and then I guess we'll we'll round it out real quick with um, guys. There's three players who are on contracts that are really long and don't seem like very valuable right now, but I think we'll, we'll come in two years time, maybe even next season, we'll look at them like how on earth did their team get them on that deal. And this is OG Ananobi, Jonathan Isaac in Orlando, who like, if you kind of just look at Jonathan Isaac, obviously he has the torn ACL, which is uh, problematic, I would say, and his recovery from that is is uh, that makes earning a lot of money in the NBA very difficult. But seventeen point four million dollars over the next four years flat, like that is that's ridiculous. Because before he was hurt, I loved everything about his game. The defense is is obvious. Like he's going to potentially win a defensive player of the year award at some point in his career. And he was starting to evolve offensively as well. He's still really young. So if he can stay healthy, like that contract is just such a steal. Um, have you, yeah. Going back to OG Ananobi, have you ever been part of the, uh, a situation where like you've been asked for your take on something over the course of time to just kind of see how it evolves, right? It's like, how are you feeling today? Like one to 10 scale and you give that number and then, you know, two weeks later you do it again. Um, I would love to know OG Ananobi's graph chart of how he feels about his contract because when he signs it, Toronto is coming off a pretty solid 
uh, postseason run. He's getting the big payday, um, you know, in his eyes because it's the first, you know, big contract that he's signed. He was relatively unknown, kind of coming into the league, really worked hard to get himself a, you know, a spot and, and a reputation uh, and a nice role there on a winning team. Obviously, this has been the season from hell for Toronto. They're completely falling apart. What's the future look like exactly? And then why did you lock in for so long at a you know, pretty uh, team-friendly number when so much of your life is going to be thrown up into the air over the next couple of years as the team goes through the rebuilding process? I just think he's probably feeling a lot different about that contract today than he did two or three months ago. That's very fair. I mean, he did get paid a lot, like over $70 million, so that's wonderful. Right, and but he'd be another guy where the number would be like closer to 100 this summer, don't you think? Oh, no question. I mean, he's one of the best defenders at his position. Uh, and, I mean, he and just fits se- so perfectly in the modern NBA. Yeah, 70 on last year's Raptors also sounds a lot better on, than 70 on this year's Raptors. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I... Absolutely. That one's tough for him. Also, if they wind up giving the real bag to Gary Trent Jr., now you've got a situation where those guys are kind of like Spider-Man memeing across the the locker room, right? (laughs) Like we're both young, both kind of on the wings here. One guy's making more than the other. One guy was here before the other. You know, is that kind of a situation where everybody's looking around and saying, well, OG, you had your shot at it and you should have bet on yourself. I don't know. Yeah, and then so I agree with everything you just said. Um, the last player in this category for me is DeJounte Murray in uh, San Antonio. No one watches the San Antonio Spurs this season, but they're good. Uh, he's having an unbelievable all-around season. Um, not very efficient and still struggling a little bit with the three-point shot, but his mid-range game is borderline automatic. He's finishing around the basket. He's earned Greg Popovich's trust. And that's another deal that's just, it was signed before he tore his ACL, or after he tore his ACL, before he actually returned to the court because the Spurs had such faith in his work ethic, et cetera. And it's starting to pay off. It's because he's going to um, make that look like an absolute steal for that organization, I think. I'm with you. What are your final categories? All my, you want to hear all my categories? Well, you you promised us twenty names. I've been trying to keep okay. a mental tally. I want to say you're at like sixteen right now, Michael. I don't know. <laughs> okay, so uh, in the same category that I had with uh, with Domas, um, the all stars who aren't close to the max for some reason, uh, I have uh, Nikola Vucevic, his deal, which goes down. Um, All every right, I'm drawing season. the line there. Come on, man. okay, yeah, I know. Okay. <laughs> That's why I didn't say it earlier. He's doing Um, just fine for himself. We don't need to cry for him. Next. No. Okay. So that, okay. So um, on the rookie scale uh, situation, I I shouted out LaMelo, uh, Tyrese Halliburton. I think Sadiq Bey, because of where he was drafted, is particularly ridiculous. Um, Great one. And also kind of in that same archetype where like, you know, if, if he continues to develop best case scenario, like big time three and D, then, you know, he's he's got a huge payday coming compared to what he's making. Right, exactly. Um, the last player who I have written down, actually, is also in the what a ridiculous bargain category, and it's, it's Moses Brown with the Oklahoma City Thunder because he just signed an extension after... Like, that extension honestly caught me off guard when I actually saw what he's being paid because if I was Moses Brown, I'd be like let me hit free agency. I know like he's a center and centers don't typically get paid, but 
he basically signed like for sub two million dollars guaranteed over the next two years, and it's like, or I should sub two million per year over the next two years, and he would definitely make more than that, I would think, on the open market. He's ridiculous. So, what do you think it is about Sam Presti that's that's helping him sign so many of these contracts? Um, you know, is it is it that he gets in on these <laughs> guys early? Well, it could be that he gets in on these guys early and it's sort of like there's a, a loyalty factor kind of built up, right? Or it could mm-hmm. be that he's just so good at pitching the culture of the Thunder that guys just kind of want to stay there and buy in. Like, it's pretty remarkable how many awesome deals he has for guys. And, and maybe there is just a loyalty factor, right? When you feel like, you know, Damian Lillard used to talk about this. That's why he went mm-hmm. to Weber State because it was the first team that offered him, right? Uh, maybe Sam Press is just kind of in that like ultra recruiter mode where and he's finding these guys and they're like, sure, I'll sign away the next four years of my life to you at a completely, you know, rock bottom discount price. It's pretty wild. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it and travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel, it's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash shot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. Michael, uh, do you have any guys on like veteran minimum contracts? I'm surprised you haven't mentioned Nicholas Batum because you came into the season so excited about him. And when you're looking at like Batum compared to some of the other guys who were picked up at the deadline in terms of quality minutes, contributing to winning, mm-hmm. you know, going to play important minutes during a playoff series or a playoff run for the LA Clippers, you know, I realize it's been a little bit of, you know, you're in the starting lineup, now you're out of the starting lineup and you know, he was probably even better earlier in the season than he has been recently, but for the price, it's hard to beat. No, I mean, I think maybe I was wrong to look at it this way, but for me personally, I kind of like avoided one-year deals um, just because 
uh, well, the obvious is that you're not under contract uh, after the season ends and you can uh, test free agency. And so... Um, no, if we've learned anything is, about about you today, it's that you want people locked in. You want them, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay, I understand that. So you're more of like if you won the lottery, you're taking the annual payouts, not the lump sum. Is that correct? <laughs> no, give me all that money right away. Oh, I see. So when it's theory, you're like, oh, yeah, slow and steady wins the race. But when it turns into reality, you're like all your values go straight out the window and you just want to ball until you fall. All right, Michael, I can understand uh, where you're coming from on this. It is only a, a theoretical exercise. Let's get into some of the worst contracts. Um, oh, man. Who is your number one worst contract, and why is it John Wall? John Wall was actually my number two. Wow. Um, Ke- was it Kevin Love? Kevin Love was my number one. Yes. yes. And the, it. The, only re- the only reason why I had... Kevin Love, number one, even though he has fewer years and significantly less money owed him, is he's just, he's not playing. He can't stay healthy. Um, so if I was paying upwards of $30 million for um, an NBA player, I would like for them to actually play. So it's just a situation where he hasn't been able to stay on the floor and impact um, really anything um, in game situations. So that's just unfortunate for, for him, first of all, and then for obviously for the Cleveland Cavaliers as well. No, look, it's a dark debate. Um, I would actually say John Wall is more damaging, all right? And here's why. Um, there's a big difference between $31 million and $41 million. Guess what? It's, uh, it's, ten, <laughs> it's $10 million. That's the difference. But it makes it even harder to do anything with that contract, right? There's no situation where you're going to kind of like piece together a trade for a player like John Wall. It's just already difficult to do that with Kevin Love. So it's out into outer space with John Wall's contract, right? I think, you know, beyond that, John Wall still expects to play and him being in and out of the lineup, I actually think is more damaging to Houston's like overall future than having Kevin Love just not be out there and play, right? Because everyone kind of understands the deal with Kevin Love. If you're a young player, in the Cavaliers, you're building your culture, you're understanding what your role is going to be. You know, Jared Allen comes in there, he knows he's going to start. He's not necessarily fighting with people for minutes. Uh, And Larry Nance realizes he's a priority and you just kind of go forward. With Wall, I mean, he comes out and tells everybody this season that he believes he's Houston's franchise player. You like that level Mm -hmm. of confidence and moxie from him, but if you're Christian Wood, you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's a little strange for him to say that. And then Surprise, surprise, a month later, you're in the media begging for the ball late in games. Like, please, guys, don't forget about me. Like, pass me the ball every once in a while. I just think um, he's in a situation from his career where you can't just shut John Wall down. It'd be very difficult to do that. And yet, if you're trying to have a rebuilding organization, that actually might be in your best interest, right? And so I just think that one's a little bit trickier to work around. And then the total money is just eye-popping. I mean, 41 this year, 44 next year, 47 million in 2022, 2023. I should note that's a player option. Pretty sure he's going to pick that one up. Yeah. Um, so I think it's John Wall, man. I, I got to overrule your ranking. I'm sorry. No, I mean, it's. I totally understand where you're coming from, I guess. Well, and here's, the, here's one other point. We just saw yeah. Blake Griffin almost have a very similar contract to Kevin Love, right? And he bought out of it about 18 months before it's ending. So if you're Kevin Love and you're the Cavaliers, that gives you hope that maybe by like next year's trade deadline, 
you could buy out of it, save yourself $13 million, whatever, you know, Blake Griffin gave back to Detroit. And, you know, it's it's on your books, but the whole thing is just, you know, both sides part ways, right? How expensive would the John Wall buyout have to be? You know what I mean? Like, there's not really a scenario where you're like, all right, let's just shave off a small fraction of your $47 million player option, you know? Like, it just is really, really tricky to do anything with that. Yeah. No, I think you've talked me into John Wall being number one here. Um, I just couldn't get over, like, literally zero production versus a guy who is not efficient but technically averaging over 20 points and six assists a game like i i that's the one thing that was kind of like i can't i don't know that's no, that no, was my I, my one sticking point i hear you for sure and that was actually a similar reason why i had to consider clay thompson here michael because you're looking at 35 million yep. for zero games played this year next year he's going to get 37.9 and you know you're hoping that you're going to get um you know, some quality production from him, but certainly you don't want to be pressuring him into doing that. He's coming off of two major injuries, hasn't played in a while, and then he's got another extra year on the end of his contract that guys like uh, John Wall, Russell Westbrook, and Kevin Love don't have. I think he's also a strong contender, even though everybody loves Clay Thompson. I think he's also got to be in this mix too. This was sad for sure. Um, He's a Hall of Famer. And uh, like he's just iconic and lovable, and everyone loves Clay. He was number five for me on you know breaking down top the worst five, and a it's, Hall of again, Famer on the court and in the life. You know, there's there's really no is. doubt about it. And the difference between him and why he should be low on your risk as he is, there's still potential for him in those last couple of years to be a really quality impact player, right? Like there's. Oh, yeah. We're not really going to turn this John Wall thing back around. I think, you know, the train has left the station on Kevin Love. That is not true for Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson could come back. The Golden State Warriors, I'm not saying they will. There is a world where they get to the conference finals next season. That's just, it's not impossible because that's how good he is. He's the second or third or, let's say second or third greatest shooter who's ever lived so that's not going away because you tore your achilles um yeah so i had i had clay thompson fifth it's a huge bummer uh and it as you said it it might turn around and be relatively okay uh but yeah it's it had to be mentioned for sure on this list um I think, I guess, like, we'll just work from there. And you want me to give you my fourth worst right now? Well, you've given me your first, second, and fifth, Michael. So fill in the blanks. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I have D'Angelo Russell. Yes. (laughs) I'm so proud of you because I had him on my list too, Michael. Let's make the case. Well, he's on a max, and... To say nothing of the fact that he can't stay healthy, like his numbers are okay offensively this season when he has played, like he's shooting 40% from behind the three point line. He's a pull up threat, all that. Really virtuoso pick and roll playmaker. Doesn't really get to the free throw line at all, which is necessary in today's league. And you just kind of like look at um, Minnesota's situation right now. And their salary cap sheet and um, who they're paying, how much they're paying people. 
and you're just kind of like, man, like you have Anthony Edwards, who we didn't mention in the best contracts conversation, but could easily get a shout out at least. He's tremendous. And it's like this organization is building around, needs to build around Anthony Edwards as the primary ball handler. And if D'Angelo Russell is not good enough to be a primary ball handler in his prime on the worst team <laughs> in the NBA, then what are we even talking about here? So Yeah, no, and also just an atrocious defender, not getting to the free throw yeah. line. He's not a 40% three-point shooter. I know he, he did that this year before the injury, but he's not that guy. And, you know... I, I, people like his pick and roll skills. I mean, I like it more if he ever led in a really good offense, and that's been a struggle for him his entire career. I do want to give congratulations to Andrew Wiggins for graduating out of this section of the conversation. Um, I do think D'Angelo Russell's, you know, the fact that he got traded for him really helps Wiggins's case because I think regularly mm-hmm. he would find himself, you know, kind of nitpicked from his contract in a value standpoint. But if you're saying which side of that deal is giving you more, it has not even been close since they've made that trade. Wiggins has been better. Yeah, the fact that, I mean, if you did that deal now, like, who sends out the draft compensation? It's like, it's a legitimate question. No, no, <laughs> so, I, it's not a question. We know who has to do it. It's, you know, it's the team that is, um, that is you know, getting uh, D'Angelo Russell is the team that should be getting the draft picks. There's no no way around it. That's tough. Um, okay, so I guess I'll round out my my top five here. Well, you uh, and I are four for four so far. I'm also curious, though. We haven't mentioned Russell Westbrook. Uh, are, are we being too generous, or is that your fifth? Well, that yeah, that they, he, he comes in number three on my list. <laughs> okay, so we weren't um, too generous. Yeah, Fair. no. Okay. Um, so Westbrook's really fascinating to me. Um, because I know it's a super small sample size, but after the All-Star break, he's been just a completely different player in terms of, um, obviously there's the the 25-point triple-doubles, which are a nightly thing. That's what he's averaging. But he's also, like, efficient. Or when I say efficient, I mean relatively, because he was, like, the least efficient player in the NBA before the All-Star break. But if you just watch the Wizards play and you watch how he's getting his numbers and how he's impacting the game offensively when he has the ball in his hands, he looks like there's that burst, there's that athleticism, there's the speed, there's the intensity, there's, oh, he's not just getting 11 rebounds with no one around. He's like going up and snatching the ball at the peak above seven footers in in a crowd. Like he is... I don't know if he is playing at an all-star level. He's playing... No, he's not. At a very... No, okay. <laughs> he's not, says Ben. But he's playing at a very high level, I think, at least on offense. And it just... It, it's it's impossible to kind of separate that from the contract and from... I mean, he's hitting 36% of his threes, and he's actually taking a lot of threes since the, the all-star break, too. So, like, he's just a guy who... I think if you were a, a, like a diehard Russ supporter, you would say this is him 100% healthy. And earlier he had the quad and the hamstring and all these different injuries. And the playoffs last year was because of COVID, et cetera. Um, and he just he's he, he's healthy now, and you see it physically. I don't necessarily know if I agree with all that 100%, but. Um, 
Well, I hey, do look, think- he, he still has to be in this conversation because of how much oxygen he takes to play the game his sure. way, right? And it, it's not translating to wins. It is translating to numbers. It's amazing that he's averaging a triple-double and no one is talking about it. It tells you how far we've come as a society in four years. I actually do have a lot of faith for us, Michael, as, as a human race, um, that we're not so obsessed with a triple-double as we were in 2017. Um Look, he's in a category where there's basically four guys in the league making 40-plus million. Steph Curry, Russell Westbrook, Chris Paul, John Wall. I I guess Harden, too, right? I mean, he's definitely played better than John Wall this year, but the gap between Westbrook and what he's delivering versus those other guys, Curry, Chris Paul, and James Harden, uh, or even LeBron James, you know, kind of in a similar category, is just so vast, right? There's no way at this point to construct a winner around Russell Westbrook. It's impossible. Um, and so, I, you know, I just kind of look at it like that's what things look like this season, and then there's two more, right? So it's likely going to get a little bit harder and a little bit worse as we proceed forward. And so this contract has still got to get mentioned. I do think he's on the the, uh, the Andrew Wiggins side of things, though, where his contract looks better for Washington because he got traded for Wall, and, you know, Wall has been worse this season, less reliable this season, so that, you know, mm-hmm. Westbrook, you almost come out looking like a winner for that deal. Uh, but, you know, to me, there, there's kind of no way around it. He's got to be in this top five mix still. Yeah, no, I, it's it's just a lot of money. Um, I have a, 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 like, a hypothetical I want to run by you. Um, if, I know we, we just said that, Westbrook can't really be on a, a good team, but what would the Phoenix Suns look like if you swapped Westbrook for Chris Paul? I know that twelve they would seed, be thirteen would, seed. <laughs> okay, so, but no, but like, would they be that much worse? Really? Yes, do you yes. think? No, I'm. You, you think I'm being sarcastic? I'm being a hundred percent serious. I give Chris Paul almost all the credit for everything that's going on down there. Um, he makes his teammates better. There's just no way around it. He puts everyone in a position to succeed. He understands when to take a step back and let, you know, Devin Booker go for 45. Mm-hmm. You know, he just understands the orchestration and the on-court leadership stuff. You know, it doesn't last forever. You know, people probably get sick of his voice after about two seasons, but um, I'm not ready to put Chris Paul in the MVP conversation like Charles Barkley or some other people, but He's been amazing. Yeah. I would have him all NBA consideration for sure, even though it's a really, really heated race this year. And I just think that you you put Westbrook down there, he's still going to be getting his triple double. But Booker's doing a lot more standing and watching. Aiton is just in the way constantly. You know, Westbrook's just climbing his back for offensive rebounds, and the spacing is all completely different. In all of it, I just uh, I just don't think it's a coincidence that Houston experienced how much different and worse and less stable they looked. After that Chris Paul trade, I think if you swapped him, it would be the exact same thing in Phoenix. Yeah, I you know I don't disagree. I I think they would be really interesting. I don't think that they would have home court in the playoffs, but I do think that they would make the playoffs and and just be. I don't even know what they would be. That's why I'm asking the question. I don't think that they would be a 12 seed, but I don't. Uh, I, Michael, I really, they, they, I, they'd be a 12 seed. I'm telling you, man. Okay. Like. <laughs> like <laughs> Chris Paul has been awesome and I mean so no, much of it so much of it comes down to personality and, and interpersonal dynamics and look Westbrook brings it every single night like you said the the effort level is there especially offensively now defensively that's a different story but you know Chris Paul is still a very effective defender Phoenix has had a really really good defense this season and that's a big part of it too 
late game execution as well. Chris Paul, yeah. an absolute maestro in those situations. Russell Westbrook, uh, not so much. There's been a bunch of games this year where balls in his hand, you know, final possession, he's trying to make decisions and you just never feel comfortable with his, you know, shot selection, mm -hmm. with his shooting efficiency. It's just always, you know, a tough spot to be in. So I can't see it, you know, okay, maybe I'll give you 10th seed best case scenario, but that's, that's all I can see for that. There's that. I, okay. I don't, I didn't really come to this argument, um, that prepared, to debate it and I don't feel strongly either way so I'll just leave it be but um, I have a few honorable mentions in the worst contracts now that we've gone through and extinguished our top fives or bottom fives whatever you want to say can we get um, a little love for Eric Bledsoe oh man um, <laughs> yes. so he, he wasn't on your list I have never said this publicly before but I was trying to in my darkest hour before the trade deadline, when I was doing my, uh, I was doing my trade deadline primer <laughs> column, and I was trying to figure out all these different fake trades, and I I had a fake one that I don't remember the exact um, everyone who was involved, but it was between the the Pelicans and the Celtics, and it involved Kemba and Eric Bledsoe, and we'll just let it be at that. I don't even want to talk about it anymore. It's very sad. Um, well, but, I'm glad you mentioned Kemba because I was going to put him in your uh, honor, honorable geez. mention category as well. No, but with Eric Bledsoe, you know, that Drew Holiday trade, everybody freaked out about the three draft picks. I, I get that. But they had to give up at least one of those draft picks to move Eric Bledsoe. I mean, he's making 16.9 this year, 18 next year, 19.4 the year after that. You talk about borderline unplayable in key situations mm. and, you know, certainly – uh, having a negative impact or a drag on his team's offense, he's not making it up up for it with the you know all league defense that you're kind of hoping to get from him. And you know, really, he's just one of the the trickiest guys to move. Um, so I, to me, like he, even though he's only making you know 16 or 17 compared to the 30s and 40s that we've been talking about earlier, if New Orleans did want to move him, imagine how much they would have to attach to do it, or imagine how much salary they would have to take back the other way in that kind of a deal. So I think he's got to be in this mix. They would have to take back someone like Kemba Walker. So is... do you have Kemba on your list too? Because what I've noticed with Kemba, man, it's mm. it, he's still trying to drive to the hoop, but he gets afraid. He gets spooked in traffic. He doesn't want to put the ball up, and then he just kind of does the little like U-turns around, tries to keep his dribble alive. And a lot of the quickness stuff that was a, really a, a driving key to his success earlier in his career – you know, likely because of injuries just isn't there anymore. The shooting, it feels like anytime he lines up a big shot in the fourth quarter, he misses. I swear, like the every time I watch the Celtics lose, and I watch the Celtics lose a lot, Michael, I'm sure you do as well. Um, I do. There's just so many moments where you're like, can you just hit a shot? Like, what are you out there doing? Last night against uh, Dallas, he just gets mercilessly picked on late in that game defensively. Dallas's offense just no-shows for almost the entire final eight minutes of that game. And when they need a bucket, they go right at him, you know, two or three times and get it. Um, I'm not sure what he's bringing to the court right now. It's tough to say that, uh, you know, for a player who's amazing locker room guy. But, you know, when you're looking at how much future money he's owed, he's got to be in this mix too, Michael. It's not as bad as John Wall or Westbrook by any stretch because he's making 34. But you got two more years of this, and it really puts Boston into a situation where their flexibility to kind of reconstruct or retool on the fly here is very difficult. 
Oh, I, you know, I don't know anything for sure, but I think part of Boston's reluctance to not giving up a first in getting someone like Aaron Gordon or Vucevic at this trade deadline was the knowledge that they may need to move off of that contract at some point. And that's that's tough to say. Um, we'll see what happens in the playoffs. You know, if he goes gangbusters, which is still possible. I, I mean, I'll push back a little bit with some of the, just like how he looks and his burst and stuff. Like he still has moments. He's not as consistent with it. I think for me, what I'm more concerned about is like, what makes him so valuable is the pull-up threes and uh, creating space in the mid-range for the pull-up two, which he basically would hit, like, you flip a coin and that shot goes in the past couple of years. This year, he's down to, like, 34% on the pull-up two, which is just such a big part of his game. That's atrocious. He's not been good in I crunch mean, it, time. It, it's a bad shot in general, but if you're shooting at 30, you're hitting 34%, it's like, just whatever just turn the ball over you know why not just make it make it more efficient and simple for the defense yeah and he's not getting to the rim as often as he normally has I think there's some reasons for that that are just like the Boston's roster was crap the first uh several months of the season um but there is some blame to be um given to him bestowed to yeah, him for sure well, well I, for sure. I, I fixate on this michael so in 2017 which is not that long ago 30 percent of his shots came within three feet right so that's telling you he's breaking down guys a lot off the dribble and he's getting to that rim for layups and he's turning mm-hmm. the corner easily and he's just smoking people this year it's 11 percent of his shots within three feet that is crazy i mean this guy used to live in the paint and um, you know he and then he would use the three pointer almost as his secondary weapon, right? Or the jumper was his secondary weapon, and that's just a dramatic change. You don't really see that happen very often. It's got to be injury related. And even his last year in Charlotte, he was at twenty five percent of his shots within three feet, and now he's down to eleven percent. He's just a completely different player uh, than the one they paid or the one that they signed up, and and that's a tough spot to be in. Yeah, I don't want to go off on a whole tangent here counterfactual um but i am writing a column about the celtics for tomorrow that i hope everyone goes and and reads and one of it's basically like a uh five questions about the celtics type of deal and one of the questions wait let let me guess the five questions are why why (laughs) why close um one of the questions is what do the Celtics look like today if they just like signed Terry Rozier and Great never question. traded for Kemba Walker? Love um, it. And look, I, I, I hate to second guess that one because no one was crying no one. about Terry Rozier leaving. No. And certainly it was a nice salvage play if you're if you're saying, look, we have to downgrade going from Kyrie to Rozier. That sounded scary, right? Going from Kyrie to Kemba, you could kind of swallow it. But that one has backfired so hard on them, man. Yeah, it, it it hasn't been great. They could not have seen the knee issue coming. Uh, there's just a lot of bad luck involved, of course. But like losing Horford, losing Kyrie in the same offseason after just a total like just 
an implosion of epic proportions that season. Uh, you can't just like re-sign Terry Rogier <laughs> to the contract that everyone laughed at when Charlotte gave it to him. Uh, that just wouldn't really jibe, I don't think. So I get why they did what they did, but Terry Rogier has been like basically Dame Lillard in the fourth quarter this season, uh, and the Celtics have been basically the worst crunch time offense in the league. So that would have been nice. Um, a well, couple, yeah. I was gonna say, let's just wrap this up. Just give me yeah. some more names, and we can riff on them real quick. I mean, who else did you have in that honorable or dishonorable mention category? So your boy uh, Davis Bertans, I have in here. Had to um, be. Had to be. Five years. If you're go- Unreal. If you're going to get paid that much, you need to shoot like 45% from the three-point line. You need to have absurd gravity, and you need to – I think you need to be at least an average defender, and I don't think he is. So that's a tough contract for a bad team. Yeah, no, I mean, look, when he wasn't hitting threes earlier this season, I think I dubbed him a zero-trick pony. Um, he's back up to 38%, so I'll give him the one trick. But he's had trouble staying on the court as well. Injury issues are a factor, and it's just the length. You know, Nobody else was getting five years in December. It's crazy that he was able to get it. It's great work by his agent. But that contract is going to look weirder and weirder the deeper that they go because he's never going to be able to play playoff minutes, assuming they can even get there. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's you know, spacing is really important, but, you know, there, it's not that important. <laughs> you know, again, if the guy's not shooting 43%, it's not, you know, worth the, the premium price that they paid. So that's a great one. Who else you got? So I have, two, I have two others that we'll, we'll, I think we should close on. Um, one is a little controversial and I don't Tobias know, Harris. Push, that how I know we've been doing this podcast for <laughs> did over I get a year. It? Did I get you it? Did get it? You oh did my get god! It. The yeah. Oracle from Oregon, Michael. I can read your mind. Um, no, because you said controversial, and yeah. that was the same thing that I thought when I saw it because it's just about the length, right? It's very long. It's a lot of money, and it's for someone who, like, I think Tobias is a good player. Absolutely. I would like to see – I just don't know how many teams are paying this in a vacuum. Like, And I know that that's not how we judge this, this, this type of thing. But if you just kind of look contextually at why he got what he got, it was like the Philadelphia 76ers had to pay it because they gave up so much to trade for him. And I don't really buy – the I mean he's like 50 40 90 averaging 20 a game like he's having a really good year don't get me wrong but I I just yeah it's it's not a question about is he worth 33 this year you can make the case that he is it's more about okay is he still going to be worth that when he's not having a career year a couple years down the road and the real question to me is Embiid what is he going to be like in the playoffs Simmons what is he going to be like in the playoffs those two players tend to dominate the discussion about okay what happens to the Sixers when they're trying to advance you know for the first time really deep in the postseason to me Harris is the biggest question of all of them he's never been a playoff player to this point of his career they really have needed his efficient scoring so far during this regular season and when the pressure ramps up and you're going against really awesome offenses and you have to keep pace with that in the postseason what is Tobias Harris going to look like? And he had an opportunity to kind of step forward and do more stuff with Simmons out in last year's playoffs, right? I mean, it's the kind of the next man up mentality. So 
you know, what did that wind up looking like? I mean, it was not was very atrocious. impressive. I mean, he was very, he was very atrocious. invisible in last year's postseason. And, I, you know, I don't know exactly who does he blame that on. I mean, he shot 38% last year in the playoffs, 14%. Actually, sorry, too generous. I was rounding up and I shouldn't have been. 13% on three-pointers in the postseason. So it's one of those things where you can say, all right, well, he can't be worse, but he needs to be an awful lot better than he's been so far in his playoff career. And I don't really trust it. You know, I'm I'm very firmly in the camp of like, you know, I'll believe it when I see it with him. So I do think he deserves a, an honorable mention. I wouldn't say he's top five worst contract, but no. top 15 in that range. Yeah, for sure. Like, I'm not feeling great about my team if I'm paying him the max, I guess is how I would put it. And the Philadelphia 76ers are in this unique position where they have Joel Embiid, so it doesn't really matter. Like, you have this all-time force of nature, then you're good. And Ben Simmons is not my personal cup of tea, but he's an excellent basketball player in a lot of in a lot of areas. So you don't like even need Tobias Harris to be um, your typical max player, which is maybe why I view the contract so dimly as I do. But uh, but yeah, he's he's one of my other honorable mentions, and then. The last one that I have here is uh, Mr. Al Horford, who um, was, I mean, like, when your team benches you for the season and can't trade you and can't buy you out, and it's just this, like, really sad, we talked about it in the last episode, just like this really sad situation. I, I don't know how they're going to tr- what's the difference on his contract this summer versus at the trade deadline like i i know that it's a little bit easier during the off seasons to make trades like that just because of how team different teams have their cap sheet constructed and all that and taking back salary etc can be a little less onerous but like how is oklahoma city getting off that without giving up a first are they what like what am i missing here no, it's a negative value contract right now, I would say. Sam Presti is just hoping that some team, you know, loses a center to a serious injury and wants to stay in the mix and is willing to kind of just, you know, swallow the contract back. I mean, it's kind of in a similar range as the Russell contract in terms of length and, and money. And, you know, I think actually Horford's been better than Russell this year. And, and so I think that his shutdown was not necessarily about like the quality of his play, but more about the direction of the Thunder. I do think that it gets easier when it's only two years to potentially move it. You know, teams are are thinking, well, look, if it doesn't work out, we can have them for one year and then proceed towards a buyout and probably save some money on the end of it. So I do think um, he'll be in a situation where he can get traded, if not this summer, then at next year's uh, deadline. But it's an awful lot of money for a guy who's not on the court. And, you know, it's almost kind of like OKC's version of Kevin Love a little bit too. So he, he deserves to be on this list. Although... I don't think he got enough credit for how well he played this year. It wasn't spectacular, but it also wasn't as like terrible of a fit as we saw in Philadelphia, which I think that is kind of sticking to him a little bit and his reputation just because he and Embiid just did not work whatsoever. And, and he winds up being kind of the scapegoat because Embiid has played amazingly well with better spacing around him. Um, I don't think that's the full story with Al Horford. I also don't think I would want to trade for him next year either. So I'm not I'm not bending over backwards here to praise him, Michael. It's just, you know, the truth somewhere in the middle. He's he's overpaid at this point. 
And, uh, you know, I think that it's it's a good note to close on. We're giving Elton Brand a lot of credit here on these last couple of selections for <laughs> what was a phenomenal offseason two years ago. All right, Michael, I think we've reached the end of another episode of Open Floor. Great research by you. Awesome categories. I really enjoyed this conversation. But guys, we guaranteed to snub somebody on either side of the list, whether it was best contract or worst contract. So let us know who we overlooked. Email us, openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. Now, Michael's on Instagram and Twitter at Michael Victor Pina. I'm on Instagram at ben.golver, on Twitter at ben.golver. You can find our page on Apple Podcasts by searching for Open Floor. That's two words. When you find it, scroll down. It will say rate and review. Do us a favor and hit five stars. It's just that easy to help us spread the word. Michael, we'll be back next week uh, with continued coverage of what's shaping up to be a pretty interesting play-in race. Uh, the, The playoff standings are starting to come together a little bit in both conferences, and we'll be talking through all those kinds of things and taking your questions as well. All right, guys. Until next week, Michael, I will talk to you. Back soon, Ben. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection, and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. 